past 18 months, Simon's been putting together a complete photographic record of all our dishes. Come on, give it up, you tramp. I know what you want. You can see an exhibition of his work at a leading off-London gallery. You're a bit of a Lord Snowden now, aren't you, darling? Why? Because of that thing with Princess Margaret? What thing? The reason I take snaps is simple. One creates these beautiful dishes, you people destroy them. The actor Hugh Laurie recently dined with us, and he was thrilled when I gave him a photo of his dessert. Because now he can look at my pudding every day. You too can be as lucky as the actor Hugh Laurie. We've put together a quill and tassel photographic menu. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents, a televisual event. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Bartek, we're here recording a monthly show in which we talk about a television show. Uh, as we've repeated many a times, it has been a, a nice little experiment and ride to um, do this as a monthly show during the uh, quarantine, during the pandemic. But i got to ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much, how much do you miss the mystery box? Oh, dude, I... I want to go back to it really, really, really bad. <laughs> so you're saying you don't enjoy this? Wow. Oh, shit. I was too enthusiastic in my answer, and it made me feel like I'm not enthusiastic about something else. Well, I put you on the chopping block here, young boy, and you have now been severed from your body. Your head is now rolling on the floor. <laughs> you can't do that. It's curfew. <laughs> So we're here doing a televisual event, and we are talking about a, uh, well, like it says, a televisual event, a, a, a thing that was on television. This month, uh, as one can tell by the title, we are covering the show Posh Nosh uh, from the, uh, what was it, mid-2000s, I want to say? It's either 2002 or 2003. Yeah, I wanted to say 2003. Um, uh, and uh, Bartek, how would you describe this show for our listening people? Just give them a quick overview of it. So, similar to a few episodes ago when we did uh, Double the Fist, this is the type of show where it's spoofing a another type of show, um, but the spoof is more so used as a device to explore something different so with double the fist it was you know this kind of jackass reality type show but mm. really it was about exploring the crazy characters behind it this one is similar in that it's a, a television cooking show but it's really exploring the relationship between the two hosts who are married and unlike and, and but also similar to say police squad which was also satirizing an existing tv genre which was obviously police procedurals this is also a show about the gags mm -hmm. how how one can implement many different types of visual as well as audio based gags whether they be quips or whether they be subtitles that appear on the screen wordplay or even a little bit of physical comedy here and there uh so, for our listening people, uh, Posh Nosh uh, is a short show, so it's British. Each episode is about eight minutes long, usually, and there's only about eight or nine episodes. We'll bring up about the eight or nine episodes in a little bit, Bartek, but uh, let's get into our history with this uh, program. Uh, I suggested this um kind of knowing your background but uh let's hear it 
Uh, my background is I'd never heard of it before. Not a thing from it, right? Not a thing. Anything familiar from it, though? Anything familiar? Yeah, like any any anything like people or, or, or like any names pop up or, or anything like, or have you seen this kind of format done before or anything like that? Uh, I mean, I recognise Richard E. Grant. He was in Spice World. We did that on the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's about it, though. I mean, I've, I guess I've seen... I haven't watched them myself, but I've seen in the background, like, cooking shows on TV. Mm, fair enough. So I suggested this show because of the fact that, you know, as we've gone on with our uh, with this monthly show, we've kind of gone to more, more and more obscure little shows where, like, Police Squad was is well known but also not many people have seen it double the fist is a cult australian show uh, you know we started off with twin peaks the return which is a big weird show but it's a cult show for sure and you know and black adder is a big one but as we've gone on we've gone to more kind of smaller weirder more obscure uh, less seen shows uh and i chose this because when i think of a show that uh no one ever talks about or rarely people have seen or just a weird little show because this show like i said it's it's little they're just little vignettes little shorts i i always think of posh nosh i've rarely ever met anyone in real life who has seen this show and it's an anomaly and it feels like i was the only one who saw it it has a real attachment to me because this show was one of those uh one of those programs that would air between other comedy shows on on uh, on the Australian channel the ABC so this would be like a little 5 8 minute thing that would be in between the bigger shows like your summer heights high say just throwing that one out there as a big well known show and in between that or or the gruen transfer another uh, show like it would be one of the ones instead of showing advertisements for other programs on that channel they would just chuck on every now and then a little short show they would do that for the children's hour block they would do it for the comedy block and this was always the one that i remembered this was always the one that stuck with me and i thought well you know bartek i'm pretty sure has never even heard of this show and i was really keen on getting you um experiencing this because this is one of those shows that i feel like you would get some appreciation out of it's got a very british taste and you and i like our british stuff Mm -hmm. so how was it for you it took me a little while to get in, and it wasn't something that had me bursting out laughing, but the structure of it and the intent and the dynamic between the main characters, you you nailed the word. I really appreciate it. Mm. I really admire it. That's good to hear. Yeah, as you stated, this is a, you know, a kind of spoof on uh, a kind of comedic take on those cooking shows that we've all kind of glanced at, let alone watched that were, especially on during that time in which it would always be like a husband or husband and a wife or like an old guy and a, like a, an old woman and a young guy. They're always British and they're always in their rich to do kitchens in their family state manner that goes back hundreds of years. And they're always like telling you how to cook this wanky food or this food that you would never realistically make and this is a as we stated it's a, it's a satire skewering those using that format f- um to framework this dysfunctional marriage between the two hosts 
And as the show goes on, we learn more and more about our two hosts without ever actually getting to fully delve into their background. Like, you get little hints and things appear over the course of the show. Yeah, everything you see is still part of the show. It doesn't, like, cut away to, like, after or beforehand. Exactly. And uh, the title, Posh Nosh, obviously, is a great title for this show because they are cooking posh-related food, but when you throw in something like the word nosh, a very, you know, uh, colloquial term for for cuisine, it also adds a clever little play on, on, on what the show's going to be about, because there's the veneer that everything's going to be posh, but at the end of the day, they're just, as, they're just as common as everyone else. They've got all these squad, they've got the problems that, uh, you know, uh, below their station you would expect for people of this degree of eloquence, wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm, yeah, and the first episode begins, they even have, like, a little tagline of, uh, extraordinary food for ordinary people so it gives you immediately this idea of what the show's going to be about even if you don't know you know too much about those kind of cooking shows you described exactly right but um you're familiar with those type of cooking shows maybe you didn't watch them but you you understand what they're going at don't you Mm mm-hmm they were just kind of around, and I don't know who, like, I guess it was always, like, you know, housewives or, like, people who were at home during the day that would watch those shows, because I only remember those shows existing when school holidays were on, or you are away from school when you were sick, and it's one of those things where it was all those bland shows that were on during the day that I always felt like as a kid were deterrence from staying at home, <laughs> because nothing's on. <laughs> Yeah, I always think of it as like, oh, something that's playing in the back while I'm getting a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good. That's a great way to describe those shows. <laughs> yeah, it's because, you know, the, you're looking at a mirror and then you can see the reflection of the TV and it's like, oh, a guy's cooking. I think of two shows that come to mind. One of which I think this show did perhaps get something from because it's British and the other one is an Australian cooking show which I don't think this show got anything from obviously because it's Australian but uh, I'll go with the Australian one first we had a show called Ready Steady Cook in Australia uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you remember it Bartek I remember the name yeah in which the it was two teams usually a husband and wife on each team would have to cook something in the allotted time and there was the red capsicum team and the green capsicum team and that's not what mattered what mattered is the host of the show for the large period of time whose name escapes me was very inappropriate whether he was actually homosexual or not he was very touchy of the male contestants he was always touching them he had a kind of that typical gay lisp and inflection and he was always making inappropriate comments not ones that were sliding into oh that was a that was a bit of a rude joke it was always kind of he was very much wearing his his preferences on his sleeve yet when I look into the guy, I don't know if that guy was gay or not. I don't know, but there was an uncomfortable sexual tension in the air of that show. And I loved watching Ready Steady Cook because I wanted to see what this guy would get away with. Like these inappropriate comments about these contestants, as well as every now and then this host would kind of give you a glimpse into his perspective as a host, like as like he came in this day to the studio not really wanting to do this, but here he is. Like, he would just give you these 
little glimpses into who he actually is underneath the veneer of a host, which this show does. This is what the sh- this is one of the main jokes of Posh Nosh is they're having the veneer that they're these eloquent hosts, but they can't really contain their contempt for one another as well as the show's format as well as the audience. Yeah, you know, I think now that you describe Ready Steady Cook, I think I remember you either telling me all this stuff or you showing me like a compilation video i think i did both (laughs) yeah well yeah you would do that yeah and the other show um was uh i can't remember which way around way around it was but it was something like the cook and the chef in which it was uh a younger you know 30 something year old like uh blue collar uh cockney guy who's a really good cook and he's teamed up with an old you know, crusty, uh, eloquent lady who's a chef, and they had, like, this great dynamic of, like, old and young, and they really both respected each other, but it was the chalk and cheese kind of aspect of it, where they never really, the show never really played too heavy into his, his cockney, lower-class kind of way, because the show was still, uh, uh, you know... British upper crusty in its way, so there was a bit of a conflict of interest there, and I think, I don't know if Posh Nosh got from that, but I always think of that, because that was a show that was also like 10 minutes long in -hmm. itself, and it would just be in between shows, so I always kind of associate the two, because I always wanted ABC to play an episode of Posh Nosh in the time bracket that that show was on, because, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that show is the the parody one, and this was the real one. This is the real one. You said it took you a little while to get into it. Is it because of the uh, the the dry comedy stylings, like, or did you not really know that this was like a a, a comedy show? Like, what was your what was your thing that took you a little while to warm up to it? I think it was just the comedy styling. Once it got going, and I you know understood it, and I knew what I was in for, then it was fine. That's fair. I remember very vividly when I watched this show as a child, my mum and I were watching and my dad was out in the kitchen and he came out and he's like, why the hell are you guys watching a cooking show? Because we never watch those kind of shows. And Mm -hmm. we were telling him, no, no, dad, you got to see this show. It's really, it's not what it appears to be. And um, yeah, it's not. Uh, so, um, let's kind of delve deeper into Posh Nosh. Um, so, did you like the show? I did like the show. What about it, kind of, what about it did you like? I liked how well it explored the two characters that it has, who, the names actually escape me of the characters. One's Minty, the other is... Simon. Minty and Simon. Um, yeah, so Simon, he's from a very wealthy family, and Minty was from middle class but married into his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole show, one of the big jokes that it, it uh, is revolved around is the fact that Simon is very clearly repressing homosexuality. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he shows a lot of, I guess, contempt or... Hatred? Disin- or hatred or disinterest in a lot of things that Minty is doing. Um, and she has this very sort of like, oh, okay, well, I'll just cheer up this situation a little bit with some quick thinking and yeah, funny ways of phrasing things. 
Um, mm. And the consistency of that, like, even if it wasn't making me laugh out loud, was reinforcing those characters. And I thought that was a really neat thing. Yeah, that is one of the pivotal jokes, is the dysfunction of their marriage is in many different facets. It's obviously the big one being he he is... Uh, he he's obviously got homosexual tendencies, whether he may be bisexual by today's standards, but they're definitely leaning towards he you know has he has love affairs. He's he's not interested in her at all. It's kind of like a marriage of convenience sake, and she's aware of it. But she does the British thing where she just keeps smiling, and you just gotta you know keep calm and carry on and just push through, and everything will be okay. It's microaggression, the show. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. It's microaggressions upon microaggressions, and they keep getting bigger and bigger. Like eventually, Richard E. Grant's character gets drunker and drunker and drunker until like one episode, like the whole episode, he's absolutely hammered. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and in the last episode, he's just straight up getting over his lover's death. You mean his tennis coach? His tennis coach. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I I haven't seen this show in a while. It's been a while. Like, I know it's been on YouTube, which is where we watched it, because I tried to track down a copy of it in any other form, but it's one of those shows like Double the Fist where... I guess it doesn't have a huge enough appeal where distribution of it is as easily and readily available, which is unfortunate. I I think that it would be a great little show to put on an official YouTube channel, say, and or have it on something like a Netflix in which you just have it as one well, of those little shows that pop up. Um, but we watched it on, on, on YouTube, and I haven't seen it in a while. I've, I've probably watched it about like seven, eight years ago. Um, but I really appreciated it more on this watching of it. I really picked up on a lot of the jokes and uh, a lot of the ongoing continuity that they had in the episodes. Mm -hmm. Just little things that kept building upon building upon building upon, like his dog. Yeah. His, his replacement child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they, they delve very heavily into that idea. One of the other aspects of the dysfunction of their marriage is that class struggle, which is as it obviously would be present because Posh is in the title. Like you said, she came from a middle class uh, background originally, and she's kind of, a, I guess, a nouveau riche kind of character while he's like old school. Like his family has lived in this house for like how many centuries was it? Like, I can't remember if it was like 300 or 600 years. Mm-hmm. And the house was made for them by a king or something. And so there's obviously a divide between them on that level too. Because he knows how to pronounce all these foreign words and she doesn't. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And every time she refers to his mother slash her mother-in-law, it's always lady. And always horrific, the details of what you hear about who that woman was. (laughs) My favorite one of the stories about um, the mother-in-law was when <laughs> Minty just casually mentions, like, when she, like, well, the first time she interacted with her, the mother-in-law called her, like, a lazy slut. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 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 because of the way, the means by which she prepared one part of a meal. <laughs> and she says it with such, like, oh, that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> she called me silly, but it was, she called me lazy slut. <laughs> what do you um 
so just to go further, would did you have any um did you have a favorite episode of this? Any that an episode that stood out to you a short you know one of them because there's a few that stand out to me. But what about you, first time viewer and all? Um, it's a little tricky since they're all so short and it's so running together. But I guess because simply because it had mm. a very notable running gag throughout the whole thing with an interesting payoff. Uh, the one where they emphasized and in it, um, which was a uh, butter and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the title escapes me, but what was it? Butter, um, uh, butter pudding. No, no, no. It was no, the bread one and where bread and butter, bread pudding. and butter. Yeah. yeah, bread and butter pudding, which is what they became famous for because in the story they own like a famous restaurant. The the was it the Quill and Tassel or something? Yeah, yeah. And that's why they have this show, because they're so renowned that they get to have this cooking show in which they teach us, the common plebs, how to be like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, the big emphasis thing there, because, you know, Simon's whole thing is uh, insistence on, like, this is how you pronounce it, is um, you don't say, uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't just say the word and... Mm. without thinking you have to really emphasize it this is how he has his prestigious way of doing this food um and then at the very end he has a line that's something like um uh and we change the face of bread and butter forever and then because throughout the whole episode he was correcting his <laughs> wife on how to pronounce it she corrects him and then he just says completely straight yes that's what they changed it to <laughs> just showing like the the level of understanding he has that like when he does it wrong it's intentional mm, mm, yeah I, I i completely get it i uh, that episode's great my personal favorite was the leftovers episode when they were teaching us how to make leftovers how to make yeah <laughs> and from fresh ingredients <laughs> how to cook leftovers and I loved when she made like um I can't remember what exactly it was, but that giant thing of bread. And he's like, no. Yeah. And he just starts like ripping it apart and making it look shit. <laughs> yeah, you can't have it be perfect because then that's not leftovers. Exactly right. And I love just the that one in particular, the sincerity that they're playing this, the straightness of their performances and of the script and of the jokes, like the, the that one in particular, if someone walked in not knowing that this wasn't a comedy show, obviously there's lots of gags, but the, the straight-faced nature of them approaching the silly idea of how to make leftovers from fresh ingredients, how to cook and make leftovers, something that has <laughs> the appearance of it, that was, um, for me, the, the highlight episode because it really took this formula, this structure, this idea of their cooking show and really had a great comedic tour de force through it. There's just this notion of, of them bickering, too, over how to make leftovers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful stuff. Um, so you said you're familiar with Richard E. Grant... Is it just Spice World, or is there other things that you've witnessed him in? Because he's one of those actors that's in everything. Maybe there was something else, but I just mainly remember him from Spice World, and even his name just, like, rings a bell. Like, oh, yeah, we did have an episode where we talked about Richard E. Grant. Yeah. 
Um, what did you think about him in this? Because in Spice World, he he doesn't get to be in the spotlight as much, and he's, you know, still uh, an over the top character in this, but he's a bit di- he's different in this than say Spice World, where he's like a you know a yuppie manager type. What did you think of him in this? Yeah, he really nailed his character, his reactions to lines, comedic timing with his co-host. Yeah, everything was just really well done. Like, little lines where she asks him, like, oh, where would you be without me? And then without, you know, skipping a beat, he just goes, Mykonos. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say that this is what I think of Richard E. Grant. Like, whenever I see him, I always think of this. I can rarely ever take him in a serious role because I always think of him as this. And whenever I see him in real life doing interviews and his social media and all of that, he comes across as obviously... He comes across like this, but not in a negative fashion. He just... He just... Because he's a, you know, he's a very well-to-do, eloquent kind of upper-crusty figure type. And... I always think of this performance of his. It's just so well realized and so well performed and you can't I can't think of anyone else who could have played this role. Like that's how good he is in this role is I can't think of a single other person that could have could have honed it down. It's just an amazing performance. I I think it's one of those great overlooked comedy performances. Yeah, once you see it done this way, you don't really see it any other way and of course she's great too um uh, minty who i believe wrote the show was one of the one of the head writers of the show she's mm-hmm. great too i haven't seen her in anything else myself me I, neither i looked her up she's in the fast show which is like a sketch show which is very big in in the uk but it's not one that i've seen so i've only seen her in this and boy, she's great too. It's kind of hard to pick a favorite from the two of them. I think for me, it's Simon, just because of how much of a, how much of a like a little prat he is. Just how much he vocalizes his disdain. Like she does the great job of being the straight person in the comedy because she has to keep uh, the veneer of normalcy. But he doesn't, and I think that appeals to me, is just the fact that he doesn't abide by the rules, yet he's the one that enforces them as well. It's very funny to me. Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking the same thing, like, oh man, it's kind of hard to pick who who the better character, or who your favourite character is, because yeah, he is obviously the one that that does all the the silliest stuff, the most crazy stuff, Um, but then... The way that she performs it and the things that she has to do obviously mm. is a bit more restrained, but it perfectly complements the, the the silly performance of Richard E. Grant in this. But in all fairness to her, I would say she has the more absurdist kind of humour in the in the show because Richard E. Grant's humour is very typical British. You know, he's mm-hmm. a repressed British upper crusty man who has microaggressions but she's getting this absurdist humor because she's doing the cooking show but they're throwing weird stuff in there without ever acknowledging it Mm. such as her vocabulary 
Yeah, her for, synonyms. Her synonyms for cooking. And they never, ever really highlight it. Like, it's one of those things where it throws you off because they just... She says it so casually, as if this is the correct terminology, and it just starts layering on, on top of each other more and more and more, and... She just plays it so straight-laced. But at first, she used a phrase, and you go, oh, okay, oh, maybe that is a phrase. But then she keeps using more of them. And I think she gets kind of the really absurdist humor in that. While Richard E. Grant kind of gets the more um, typical British humor. She gets to have, like, the weird wordplay. Yeah, yeah. His is stuff that, like, would try to make you laugh. Hers is one where it's like, what? What? How did you react to to her stuff when it came to that? Because it's straight off the bat too. It's not like half like in a second episode. Like in the very first episode, she just starts saying like, "You've got to humiliate your vegetables." Yeah, I had the exact same thing you described there at first because I I don't know too much about all the cooking terminology, but I think I have heard <laughs> things that are like similar to that, but actually are real. So I was kind of thinking like, "Oh, mm. I, is is annoy." A cooking term? <laughs> like, because when, maybe but, it's like irritate, like you have to irritate it, but yeah, mm. it's... And then as it kept going, I obviously realised like, okay, okay, that's the running joke, her, her synonyms or vocabulary. I think that she was watching one of these cooking shows, and I, I bet you, because I think the first thing that she uses it for, instead of strain the vegetables, which is what you... which is a real term... I think she saw that on a cooking show and she thought it would be real. Someone, one of the two writers, thought it'd be really funny if you changed the word strain to something like a synonym of it. Like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if instead of they use the word strain, they use the word uh, uh, like annoy or humiliate or, you know, stress. And like stress yeah. is also a term, right? And it just kept building off of that. It became more and more absurd. Yeah, I think in one of the descriptions I read for the show and it listed examples, it mentioned like, oh, one of the words that you, you that you would use is like boil or you'd boil this. Mm. Um, and then obviously boil, that can mean like enrage. So something something to do with anger. Yeah, annoy. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that level of straight-faced absurdity within it because it's obviously funny, but they're never... She's never winking at the camera when she does it. She only winks at the camera when she makes a lame when her character makes a lame joke that is obviously funny because of how terrible the joke is at hand. Did uh with 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 um with her stuff, were what were some other aspects of her humor or comedy stylings that that character brought that you enjoyed? Because obviously we'll talk about Richard E. Grant some more, but but he's so enticing. I just want to kind of really highlight her because Richard E. Grant is so mesmerizing in this performance, but she's really talking. She's doing most of the stuff in the show. A lot she's of Richard E. Grant yeah. is him leaving. <laughs> yeah, she's actually doing the TV show. Yeah. What was other things that she did that you really enjoyed? Yeah, the the moments where Richard E. Grant would be in like the background playing with the dog or whatever, where she would just <laughs> like sometimes just whenever she would talk about her life being married to him or the wedding like she she'd talk about how like oh i got this from from his mum but i know i was actually from the maid um there when she's showing the wedding photo and the dogs there she talks about how sometimes she feels like she's the one who's 
being left out of stuff and yeah just these little genuine moments but like mini moments because mm. you have to get back to the cooking show just adding this layer of depth to the character yeah she does a brilliant job of that it's um although they're both cartoon characters just how straight faced that they play them and with her in particular there's a genuine nature to her character because you get the feeling as the show goes on, that she doesn't... She's not this type of person, really. Like, this is something she's adopted because of the marriage and because of, you know, the circumstances of whatever her life has been up to this point. But you kind of get the feeling from just her performance that she's tired of it, you know? Um, but this is what she is now. Yeah, there's that episode where... um. I can't remember which one it was, but she was setting up a plate with, like, a fish and lemons and stuff, and Simon was telling her, like, oh, no, you should put the lemon here, no, there, and then at the end she says something like, that's where it started, and mm. that was, I think, part of the facade being broken in that example. Yeah, she um, was so annoyed. Yeah, and then there are other instances where, if there's a running joke of Simon correcting her, like, with the pronunciation of paella... Um, <laughs> And then at the end, she tries to say rice in a weird way, but no, it's an English word. <laughs> no, no, it's an um, English word. <laughs> yeah, eventually it does get to the point where she gets a little bit fed up with it. But Bartek, it's not Zhu, it's Zhu. Yeah, in terms of the subtitles, that was one of the ones that really got me. Like, Zhu, <laughs> and then in brackets, Pron, Zhu, just the word again. <laughs> My favourite use of the subtitles was when she said, and you've got to cook this four minutes, and then the word four, not the number, like, not the word for the number, but <laughs> F-O-R comes up four minutes. So if you're reading it, you go, oh, you're going to cook this four minutes, okay. Uh, I missed that one, but that's good. That one's a great one. And I just love also ones where it's in slow-mo, and then it'll come up with, like, this is not the speed, this is not yeah, the Yeah, not real-time speed. speed. <laughs> like, you didn't know that? <laughs> I really liked with her um, when she did try to um, fluster up that upper crusty nature. One of my favorite lines from her very early on, I think it's in the very first episode, is now you can use stock cubes. You don't have to make your own stock. You can use stock cubes if you have low self-esteem. I love those type of lines. Those just scathing kind of condescension lines that are just so judgmental. I love those kind of lines. And she had so many brilliant ones like that. Um, there was a line, I can't remember if it was her or him, but another famous line that I loved was, um, um, cooking really upsets food. Just <laughs> the absurdity of it. It's just... Brilliant humour, and um, like you said, it took you a little while to get into it. Is it just because it was so dry? No, well, yeah, yeah, there was the dryness, but also it was me understanding the point of the show. I'm trying to think with her, she she also had, I love when she had to remind us that food was organic. <laughs> Always, yeah, it's I... like four or five word, four or five times it's crammed into like a three-word sentence. <laughs> I think the um the joke that finally settled it for me, like, oh, okay, I get the show now, is um, in the first episode, 
Um, she talks about like, oh, this is what you do with the oven when you prefer when you prepare this food, and then she says, and if you don't have an oven, and then she just doesn't follow up on that because she doesn't know what to say. <laughs> oh, it is, it is great. Like I love um. My wife Rachel watched this with me. She she had seen the first few episodes when I watched it back in the day, but not all of them. And she lost her mind. I think it's in the very first episode. They introduced this brand of water that they've made, where it's a mix of still and sparkling water called Starkling Water. Mm-hmm. And Rachel lost her mind because she was like, "Oh my god, that's a thing now! Like that's a type of water you can get now." But back then, it probably wasn't. It was a joke. It was a joke in this show that is now reality. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's interesting that Posh Nosh influenced humanity. I think it's changed the world. <laughs> it's. I meant to say reality, but humanity. Let's go with that. It's changed everything. Mm. I um. But yeah, she does a great job, and you feel. <laughs> Like it does, she does a great job where you feel sorry for her, but you also don't because she's also a prick that you don't like. Like she's a horrible person, but also you do feel sorry for her situation. And this is all in like eight minute segments. Um. Uh. Let's uh. Let's talk about the Richard E. Grant in the in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a favorite thing from, did you have a favorite moment from, like, a real gut buster belly laugh? And in general, did you have a favorite joke that that you have, haven't talked about? Um, I remember in, I think, either the first or second episode, it's the, oh, the second episode, because it was the one about the birthday party when he was talking about chocolate. He was talking about this one guy who's in, like, a hospital ward somewhere who revolutionized chocolate. And uh, after he said his name, he just said, write to him and tell him he's a genius. And the way he delivered that line was just had so much authority in it. And then immediately after, like, the subtitles told you, like, his room number in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am um, probably a line that I've used in my real life to describe things. And I swear you've probably heard me do this. And it's he describes a certain fish as the cashew of fish. And mm-hmm. I've used that as a moniker of quality for other things in life. Like, oh, that's the cashew of this. Um, and I just love that. It's like you said, he nails it because as over the top as he can be, he he delivers it with that Shakespearean actor quality. That 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 great comedic performers like a like him and Patrick Stewart. They come from a classical background. They come from a background where they you know they are in those period piece dramas, and you know them for being this. But when they do comedy, they bring that element to it, even if they're playing it up to eleven, which he clearly is. But there's just something about. Like when you said before, that line about how he wants to be in Mykonos, and just the way he says it too, mm-hmm. <laughs> brings a level of humor to it that uh, um, a more, you know, directly comedic performer may have not had that charm to it. Because we've talked about that before on, on our podcast of sometimes, um, you know, there are lesser comedies because they have... Uh, the performer, they're just like some comedian and they're just playing it like it's an out-and-out comedy while sometimes the humour comes best from people who are playing it straight, like it's a drama. Like we talked about that with Paleface, right? Where in the film Paleface with Bob Hope, he's the only one 
that's like an out-and-out comedian who's playing this like a comedy, and everyone else is playing it like a serious Western. And that's what makes the movie even funnier. Richard mm-hmm. E. Grant here, he's absurd, but he's playing this as if this is a weird, sad, tragic, gay story in the background. Like, he could have his own movie about being a repressed gay Englishman, but it's in this silly show. Well, the show's long enough to be a movie, I reckon. It's just like an over an hour or so. Yeah, like, uh, what, eight episodes, nine minutes each? Yeah, 72 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, a, a favourite Richard E. Grant line that I had was from the very first episode when he was describing, I believe, I want to say it was a wine, or it could have been oil, because he, he, he palates oils like he does wines, which was, I don't know how you felt about that, but it was gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was about the virgin taste. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it's like, it's like sucking nectar through a hangman's noose, was his description <laughs> of something, and I, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know where they came up with that line, because we have often talked about, like, there's those jokes or those crazy situations where you go, oh, where did they get that one from? But really... You exaggerate that for effect when you're talking about comedy. It's like, oh, that's a crazy idea. I don't know who came up with like where that came from. But oh, that, that statement, a... I don't yeah, know that... where that came from. <laughs> yeah, that was a big running joke of yours when we started Unappreciated Masterpiece. Like, someone wrote this. Someone wrote that line, and it's amazing. I don't know <laughs> what like lightning bolt struck their house that day, but that line is just so out of left field. Because I don't know what it means, but it makes me laugh. It's like you're sucking out of a, a hangman's noose. Uh, yeah, a rope that's absorbed some nectar, I guess. Yeah, this is you know short-lived show. Obviously, it only has a certain type of shelf life to it. But uh, I think that's the strength of the show. It's short. It's sweet. It doesn't overstay its welcome, and it gets to the point. And it's just there to be fun. And I personally think it achieves that goal. You? Yeah, I'd say so. It didn't bother you that the episodes, like, we've been mainly covering your more normal standard show fare where each episode's like 25 minutes or half an hour or an hour. This is the first type of one where these are just a series of shorts. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that? And do you engage with those type of shows often? Um, I found it refreshing, you know? Like you said, it gets straight to the point, it doesn't overstay its welcome, and you can binge watch them very easily if you are into if you want more of it. Um, eight mm. episodes, and you know, there's so many lines similar to Police Squad. There is a sort of a rewatch bonus in that, you know, you you might pick up on some lines that you missed because even before I watched the show, you were telling me that this is another one where you really got to pay attention because if something funny happens, they're not going to dwell on it very much. They're just going to move on. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a show that has rewatch value. And that's good to hear because, you know, you and I have different tastes, obviously, being different people. And there was a part of me where I was like, uh, will Bartek just be kind of like, oh, that was a nice oddity, but I will never really want to watch it again kind of thing. Because it, like, it does have a really dry sensibility and it plays it 
in that straight-faced way that could be a little bit like, one, you could not, you know, I can understand people who wouldn't like this show or get what the show's point is, but also, like, when it comes to, like, that rewatch factor, I could see, you know, because it is so short, it gets to straight to the point, and it's kind of a, you could argue, a one-note kind of comedy show, like, it hits that same beat, uh, that it may not have that rewatchability factor for you, but I'm glad to hear that it kind of does have that, and maybe one day down the future, you'll you'll go back to visit Poshnosh. Yeah, especially since, like, like I mentioned, it took me a little while to get into it. There are probably a bunch of gags in the first few minutes of the first episode that would have completely gone over my head because I was still gauging what the show was. I, what I like too about the show is, I can't think of any negatives achieves what it wants to achieve effortlessly. There's no jokes that I would say are bad. Um, there are ones that make you laugh more than others, and like you said, there's a lot of that, I appreciate this, but I think that's the point, right? And mm-hmm. what it's spoofing, what it's satirizing, it nails. Like, we haven't even talked about how great the opening sequence is, the credits at the beginning and end, and how, uh, for me, having seen these shows in the background and having viewed them, it perfectly encapsulates what those shows are like. Just the credits. Yeah, all the uh, the two characters in like different environments, like as if this is their day to day. And then you got that one shot where they're walking towards the camera and they go separate ways to go around the camera. And I, I might be wrong, but I could have sworn that like Minty has like a a strange reaction to that, like, oh, I have to go a different way, but yeah, upon yeah, yeah. watching future episodes, I'm like, oh, maybe maybe I was just imagining that. I yeah. also love it shows you the dysfunction in their mar- in their dynamic because she's there slavishly cooking in the kitchen and he's out there just drinking wine, just mm-hmm. enjoying himself with his big hat on. And Yes, his- well, he, <laughs> he can't drink wine during the show, Ryan. Well... <laughs> <laughs> and I love the oh, music. Oh wait, no, that's one too. of the running gags. Yeah, I the love music. The music where you can kind of barely understand what the hell the words are saying in the song. <laughs> yeah, it's like Blackadder two credits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you have to have a good ear to pick up all the words to it, which I appreciate because it kind of just is the music is in tone with what those kind of shows are, but there's a silly aspect without the lyrics being overly comedic and silly, like, oh, it's one of those ones, but they got silly lyrics, where this one is is just dialed into the silliness enough for those people to take this at face value. Um that's another strength of this show that I personally love is the idea of people seeing this not knowing what it is and trying to take it at face value and know and like how long does it take for most people to to realize the illusion? Yeah, especially if especially if they're like waiting for another show to start because you said this is something that happens between shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I watched it, yeah, and. Uh, it is it is uh, an interesting conundrum. Like I love the shows that do that or, or videos that do that. Like YouTube has really embraced that kind of quality of making a type of video where you think it's going to be one thing and then it slowly turns into another. The most iconic kind of example of that is um, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, right? Mm-hmm. Where it, you think it's going to be one of those old school British shows where it's got like the puppets and everybody's happy and then it turns into a nightmare world this doesn't go as a as over and beyond as that but um 
that type of humor has really evolved towards the internet where I would say to you like um like do you think that posh nosh like now do you think it like uh holds up to where comedy is at and how this kind of form like I've just said this kind of show would exist just on someone's YouTube channel now not on the BBC mm-hmm. um how do you think it holds up yeah, I guess one of the immediate questions is, like, would this be something that appeals mainly to people that do like British comedy, or would it be more wide-reaching? Because, because mm. yeah, there, there is... It, it really does have that British atmosphere about it, which not everyone likes, but there is a lot of wit and intricacies that I feel like a lot of people who maybe wouldn't even like British comedies might describe it as something of like, you know, give it some time and you'll really get into it. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I feel like, I feel like maybe it would work. I think so. I think it's kind of like in a weird inadvertent way kind of a pioneering step to where internet comedy is because I can see Posh Nosh the way it is just the way it's presented right now being a a liked comedy series on a YouTube channel and that's not saying that this show didn't belong on television, I mean it's really well made It's, it's playing straight into what those shows were like at the time and those shows can still continue to be now, but yeah. Yeah, you'd want it to be on the medium that it's parodying. Yeah, yeah, but I think it does hold up. I think it has some, you know, there are some dated jokes here in terms of, like, technology and uh, whatever, but the essence of the show comedically still hits true. Um, and I think this would, like, this has, um, like, a uh, long-lasting effect, although I don't think that this show was seen by enough people. I was looking up beforehand, like, on the internet, people talking about this show, haven't talked about the show, and it's it's, it's like, like it is in real life. Not as talked about as I would like. Yeah, but- the, I, when I was looking it up, there were very few things talking about it. Two websites that I went to even had, like, the same description of the show. Mm, and I was trying to look up any behind-the-scenes information, because I was curious of, like, how did this c- come into being? Like, I guess the the lead actress is from a sketch comedy show that's well-liked, so, she, you know, she's worked on several projects, and I guess it's, this is just something that she got to make, or that people got to make. But I'm just so curious of, like where this all came from, because with shows like Police Squad and Double the Fist, we know where those shows came from because they have the information readily available and you can get where they came from. But Posh Nosh is just such a oddity to me because I know in my brain I could figure out, like, obviously they're making fun of these shows, but I'm just... I don't know how it got made and how Richard E. Grant got involved and... Like, it doesn't have its naked gun. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And with Police Squad, it was very obvious as to why, because they had made Airplane beforehand, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. cool. But I don't know with Posh Nosh. I would love to know the behind-the-scenes story of how this all came to be and the making of it, because I think there's something. there could be something very interesting there, because this just seems like a fun little side project for everyone. Yeah, that's true. 
Now, I'm always interested in hearing the stories of that, of those kind of projects where you got all these people involved that it worked on this thing, but it was just kind of like a, a little fun side thing that everyone was doing. And it, because to me, it has the air of that this was a fun thing to make. Everyone seems to be having fun. It has that atmosphere and just it's in its delivery that this was just kind of like um, the BBC just commissioned this uh, these little shorts and it kind of feels like they had free reign over it and they just kind of got to do whatever they want because there are some really, really dark jokes in this show. Yeah, like what you said about how it could work as like on a YouTube channel, this feels like something someone would have made. I guess that it it uh, leads into that idea from the fact that it, it does feel like, you know, things that you would put on YouTube, your YouTube channel are things that you are proud of. It's not so much something that you did as work. So, yeah, mm. this feels like, oh, a project that we had fun on. This is something that we would put out there and show people. And, yeah, being a smaller-scale show, it again, you wouldn't really do a smaller-scale show like that without much justification beyond, like, mm. personal investment. Yeah, and there was a, there seems to be an air too of like this was like a little industry fun thing because there's barely any other actors involved, and the ones that are involved are either now bigger stars or they were like um, you know well known in the comedy scene comedians that would turn up as like the bishop guy. Or there's an episode where they show pictures of the patrons at the at the at their restaurant and they're all like those comedians that you see on those panel shows like qi or would i lie to you kind of thing so mm -hmm. there's obviously like that level of it as well that i that i i personally liked enjoying to i enjoyed seeing i enjoyed seeing someone like david tennant in the show as the tennis coach and then the other tennis coach how did you feel about that, that they just never really, really acknowledge... Like, they do acknowledge it, but they don't, that, that David Tennant plays two people who aren't related, <laughs> but, the, you know... Yeah, it was a funny gag. I just... <laughs> is, uh, because it just shows you that Simon has a type, and that type is mm. David Tennant. Because you're not familiar with David Tennant as an actor that much, I would assume. No, I've heard his name thrown about because people love Doctor Who, but I know I know that he's a big deal. Yeah, he's a bigger deal now, yeah. You never saw that uh, Fright Night remake? No, I haven't. Oh, I reckon you would enjoy that. He, he plays like the, the um, expert on vampires and whatnot in that movie, and he's very fun. Um, I've seen Centrinians too. And of course you've seen Centrinians too, The Legend of Fritton's Gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this food, you know, this is just fun, and it was really great to see David David Tennant. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, eight or nine episodes. This is how elusive the show is. You go to look up how many episodes there are, and IMDb says there's nine, but the ninth episode has literally no description, no, no nothing in comparison to the other episodes. It has a title, but nothing. Nothing about it is mentioned. You go to Wikipedia, and it says eight. It doesn't even mention this ninth episode. And then you go to different forums, and people are arguing, there's nine episodes. No, there are eight episodes. And then on YouTube, you can only find eight. I don't know what the answer is. I even looked up the DVD specs, and on the DVD that used to be sold here in Australia, it had eight. 
but the one in the UK, I think, had nine. So I don't okay. know what the answer is. Wow, this whole episode you've been saying eight or nine. I've just been like, there's eight, Ryan. I watched eight episodes, but okay, there's a reason for that then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to... I didn't want to worry you straight off the bat by being like, you didn't watch all of them, but like eight or nine, because there's a weird, and this is the part of the mystery of the show of why did this get made? What happened to it after it got made? Like, it seems like it was just like a, a, a can of soda. You cracked it open, it fizzled, and then it just, you know, went flat. All the bubbles went away real quick. And I love the show, but like I said, distribution is, I don't know what's happening with that. Like I can't find out on anything. So YouTube's the only place I can, and then I don't even know how many episodes there are. I know nothing about it other than what it is, like just looking mm. at it. And in the age that we are now, like, isn't something like that fascinating to you? Because we live in the age of information where you can just tweet the people who created this show and ask them questions. And I tried that. They didn't answer me. But isn't that interesting to you when you still have a show like this that will just pop up somewhere and there's like you you don't know anything about what it is outside of just what it presents to you in the show itself yeah it's a neat thing about mysteries in the information age when you just cannot find an answer yeah and it's always interesting when it's kind of this level of prestige right because this is not that old it has well-known people involved and it's on a mainstream channel yeah mm-hmm. Don't know jack shit about it. I, 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 it just tickles tickles my mystery bone. I'm just like I, I just want to know. I just this isn't like the rise and fall of Baal level of mystery, but it does, <laughs> does tickle my interest. Um, trying to think, anything else you want to talk about with um with Poshnosh? Did you have any negatives of the show? Because like I said, I just said I didn't. But what about you? First time view and all. Yeah, putting aside the fact that I it took me a second to get into, I think it nails everything it tried to do i can't really say it does have negatives i guess maybe you could say that the fact that i didn't laugh too much would be a thing but again like you said appreciation does kind of feel like it's intent did you not did you did you did you not get any big laughs at all at any point so yeah i mean just small giggles from like lines i wasn't expecting yeah i lost it when he um was like that's it no more food, just sauce. And he had his whole diatribe about how we're just going to serve nothing but sauce. I've seen the future <laughs> and it's sauce. <laughs> there was one episode where, um, I can't remember the exact context, but Minty was talking about how, uh, or one of them was mentioning that like they would wake up in the middle of the night and then they mentioned, and they didn't dwell on it, that they'd run to the other's room, which just indicates, you know, they sleep in separate rooms. <laughs> they had lots of things like that. Like, I liked that there was literally, I think, one time you heard whoever was behind the camera react to something, mm-hmm. which is when Simon says some line about, um, uh, uh, it's, it's as refreshing, like a, like, like a young schoolboy or something Oh, the, the Italian language student? Yeah, he has some line that is basically, and he's supposed to be like um like young school days or whatever, but he oh, says boys. best enjoyed young. Best enjoyed young, like a young school boy. Like, he, he has, it's very off-putting, and it's like the one time you hear, like, the another person, because she's elsewhere, and you just hear a person react going, excuse me? and he just brushes through it he just keeps going i love it even down to wordplay lots of funny wordplay but down to there's an episode called um 
like sauce or sauces, right? And the joke is like they're making sauces and they're all absurd, but what's Simon in that episode? Completely drunk. He's on the sauce. Isn't that good? Mm-hmm. That's Yeah. It's clever. It's nice. Um any further thoughts or things you want to mention about Poshnosh? Yeah, just one more. So we mentioned that um that Simon he shows a lot of contempt for his wife and disrespect. Mm. And like halfway through the show, obviously I understood that. But then the show would sometimes like throw me for a little bit of a loop where it kind of shows that maybe he is actually fond of her, but his whole um, you know, attitude towards her is kind of contrary to that. It's weird. Like there was the episode where at the end he would talk about how like Oh, you know, you had that really funny saying, you know, say it, say it. Um, and yeah. I know it was followed up with one that's like, oh, no, no, there was another saying that wasn't as good. But, like, that felt like a kind of ten, like a genuineness there. And on the other hand, like, on the in the final episode, Minty, when she introduced him to the other David Tennant, even though it was, like, you know, a continuation of, you know, his cheating or, mm. or, or his, his, repre- his engaging in his repression... Um, she had this sort of, like, smile on her face when he sat next to him that almost seemed like, yeah, this is the way it's meant to be. Because so, like, kind of gives, she's aware. Yeah, it kind of gives you this, yeah, this, like, kind of extra level of, like, how messed up their relationship is. That, like, they're, they're sort of, in a way, happy together. Well, that's how dysfunctional relationships do work, right? You have those moments that that uh that lull you into thinking that everything's good. So yeah, Simon will have his moments of being slightly nice, but he will still find a way of turning that against her. Um yeah. and he thinks I think he thinks of her more as a business partner. He likes her as a business partner. Um but <laughs> as a as a wife, as a person, no, he likes a dog more. Um yeah. and they can't have I, I children guess... because he can't stand the smell of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the more poignant moment is the minty one because that's literally how the show ends. So, like, oh, I mean, sorry, there's a ninth episode, I guess. Myth, my, um, mystery nine, yeah. Yes, but the eighth episode ends being like, oh, the the story is now over, and Minty actually does like the situation. It's just like, oh, clap your hands, look how messed up they are. But also at the same time, there is the visual language too of, but she's all alone on the yeah. other side of the table, eating the meal that she's made, and they're not even touching theirs. Yeah, that's true. There's that kind of stuff there that's that's really good storytelling. See, it's a silly little comedy show that's five to eight minutes long, but it has, you know, it uses the, the language of, 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 of uh, the visual medium to really enforce those kind of themes and ideas that the show has been banging over your head since the very beginning, but it's a, it's really well done. Um, I don't think I have much else to say about Posh Nosh. It is a wonderful show that you can all watch easily on YouTube. It's a quick, easy watch. I am, I love this show because there is a level of um, reverence I have for it because it's one of those things where it feels like only I have seen it. I'm sure mm-hmm. you have something in your life that you have a fondness for because it's something that you feel like only you have experienced. And, and, you know, we all have something like that. And then you bestow this, like, it's like it's you bestowing a gift onto others when you go, hey, 
have this and experience it. And that's how I feel about Posh Nosh. It's just like Double the Fist. It's one of those things where I feel like not many people have seen it, and I was lucky to have seen it at that time in my life, and I've adopted many things from it just casually, and um, I felt like we should talk about it because no one's talking about Posh Nosh. Um, but I like, you know, just talking about wrapping up thoughts, definitely recommend the show. I think it has aged well, and I think it adds a interesting perspective into the landscape of how these short comedy things work now, especially in the age of the internet. I could easily see them bringing back Posh Nosh as a YouTube thing. Like, if they wanted to do it again and come back to these characters these, like, 15 or so years later... I could easily see them doing that, just uh, just a little short thing on, on a YouTube channel. I, I could see that being done. It would be fun. Richard E. Grant, come on, do it again. He seems like a fun guy. Um, Bartek, final thoughts, and uh, if you'd recommend? I do recommend this show, and I, I hope it came across in this episode that we did, but um, it's the kind of show that you can't really spoil without just like reading out the full script. Like, the format of the show... And the, the appeal of it is seeing the execution. You can't really spoil the execution in a podcast like this. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we, we just chatted about all this stuff. And that probably won't diminish your experience all that much. It's definitely a fun show to check out. Um, might take you a bit, might not. But, yeah, you'll have... You, you might be able to appreciate it if you look in the right areas. Mm, indeed. It's, as as uh, Minty said, it's nicely nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so many good, good, good lines. Do you think you could cook any of the foods they made with the way that they taught you how? This might be a, uh, a cheap answer, but maybe leftovers? I don't think I'd be able to do it perfectly. You'll need an Arga oven, though. Ah, uh, shit. And if I don't have an oven, silence. <laughs> no, I I think it does work on that level too. Of if you strip away all the silliness, I think I don't know, but I think that you could make these foods. I also like I think it works on that level as well. Um, but yeah, I you know what I also wish too, Bartek, because again, lack of conversation. I would love a flow chart of all the different synonyms she used and what they matched because there was a. A rule to it like she would keep using the same phrases for the same activities so she didn't just change disappoint the veg when she did something to humiliate like she would have when you're doing something she would have a specific word i wish that there's someone could detail down what each word was representative of mm -hmm. um someone do that i would very much appreciate it uh, but that's it for uh posh nosh uh a fun journey back for me and uh i'm glad that uh that you enjoyed yourself bartek and i'm just happy that uh i got to share this show with you like this and double the fist in particular ones that i'm very happy to have shared and uh, experienced with you it was good episode was good too thank you uh no, no, sorry no that's the thing we say after the episode damn <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that and um. All right, then that that that's that that that's the episode. Like that's that how we end it. Um, listening people, uh, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter. 
Uh, look up Spit and Polish Presents. You shall find us. Our email is spitandpolished at gmail.com. Feel free to email us with your thoughts, questions, queries. Have you seen Posh Nosh? What are your thoughts on it? Did you work on it? If you did, contact us. We'd love to hear some, uh, some of the details of how this all came to be and what it's all like and what happened after and all of that. That'd be interesting. So spitandpolished at gmail.com and rate, review us on all the podcatchers, listen to us on all of them as well, just every single one. Like you listen to this episode like 50 million times because you're going through each podcatcher one at a time. Or play our episode on all of the podcatchers at the same time. Get it all synced up. It'll be a fun time. Uh, yeah, on loop. On a loop. Bartek, um... A pleasure, as usual, I guess, you lazy slut. <laughs> Thank you, you... Hold on, let me just... What's another funny line I haven't mentioned? Uh, let's see. Um, no hips, no bosom. <laughs> that was a good one. It's like he's wearing a yellow hat. Now it's like Better than a God's ye- wee-wee. <laughs> like, yellow is God's wee-wee was a good one. It's like now he's wearing a yellow hat on his ass. until next time listening people remember you can taste if meat was happy